Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Imagine with me for a moment that we are under attack. Imagine that here in Charleston, West Virginia, we are being attacked by an enemy and they are close. Pictures say that they're 25 or so miles away. They're south of us, so that would put them about in the town of Danville, and they are headed this way. Now, having been born in West Virginia and having grown up in West Virginia, I know something about many of you. Many of you are ready, right? I've been to Rural King, right? I've been to Cabela's. I know that many of you are ready. Um, I also know that if they're in Danville, that those of you who are from Danville, you're ready. I've been there. But let's just picture for a minute that they're 25 miles south of here, and they're on their way. How would you feel? That's the setting, that's the scenario that we're going to be talking about this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to tell you the story about a time that an enemy army was about to invade Jerusalem and they were only 25 miles away. The time was 850 BC or so, which is more than 2,800 years ago, and the setting was southern Israel, just on the south side of the Dead Sea. Good King Jehoshaphat, he wanted to create one nation under God. He wanted to please the Lord for most of his reign, but his enemies saw his faith as a weakness, and so they invaded. In this map of southern Israel, we call that Judah, you can see how the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites joined forces to swoop up from the south, and they were already at the town of En Gedi. Now, En Gedi, again, is about the distance from En Gedi to Jerusalem as Danville is to Charleston. And you can picture as the scouts come back to the king and they say, King, we are outnumbered. There's thousands of them. And because King Jehoshaphat wanted to please the Lord, he called the nation together. Specifically, he called the people in Jerusalem together around the temple for a moment of prayer. Let's listen to his prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 6. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Notice his motivation through this. He says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes on us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence because of the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us for an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes 
are on you. Now, as I was reading through this passage this week, getting ready for the message, one thing that just kept coming back to me was, was the hearts of the children. According to verse 13, there wasn't just soldiers, there weren't just men and women, but verse 13 tells us there were families, there were children present to hear this news. And so picture, if you will, these kids standing just beyond the, the temple steps, and their king is telling their parents that an enemy is very, very close, and they're scared. Now, having grown up in the United States, thankfully, many of us, most of us, haven't had to worry uh, specifically about that type of an invasion. I remember as a kid, I'm just old enough to, to have talk in places where we would hide in case Russia invaded. Some of you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that was much more of a scare. Maybe you were a kid. Most of us were adults, but maybe you were a kid during 9-11, and you saw the news, and you were just wondering what was going to happen. Think about how scared these children must have been. But in the crowd, there was a pastor, and his name was Jehaziel. We're just going to call him Jehaz for short. And Jehaz, as a pastor, stood up, and God gave him a word of encouragement for the people. Let's listen to Pastor Jehaz's word. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your possessions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, at that moment, think about how encouraged the king must have been. Think about how encouraged the army must have been. They gathered their shields and their swords and their spears. And man, they were ready to go to battle. If you've ever seen the movie The Last Samurai, I can almost picture them lacing up their armor, getting ready for the fight. I mean, they were ready to get down the business and defeat the Huns, right? For you Disney fans, they were going to go to battle. The king does something interesting that blew my mind as I read it this week. He does not send the army out first. You think he would send like the Jason Bourne type of people or, or he would send the strong soul, but he doesn't do that. Instead, this passage says that he sends the choir out ahead of the army. Now, I love the choir, right? We have a great choir. And about every other week, they sing a special. And I know we have some tough men and women in our choir. Um, I can just picture, you know, I, I talked this morning to Mary Beth. I asked her if she shoots. And she says, yes, she's quite accurate. So I don't know whether to take that as a threat or what. But, but <laughs> I know there's tough people in our choir. But if we're going to go to battle, none of us would send the choir out ahead of the soldiers. But that's what the king does. And if you look in verse 21, they, they sing the same song over and over again. We don't know the tune, but they sing these lyrics over and over again. Verse 21. 
give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Watch what happens in verse 22. And as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. And there was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Now this true story that we just read and that I just tried to tell, this true story tells us about several groups of people. First of all, it tells us about the person of God. The entire Bible primarily is about the person of God. And so we learn that God loves his people. God is faithful to his people. God is a good father. But this passage also teaches us about the nation of Israel. Uh, the book of Second Chronicles details a lot about the nation of Israel, specifically the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we can learn about historically what they were like and what they were going through. But this morning we can also learn some things about ourselves. And I want to invite you to see yourself in this passage and to ask yourself what you have to be thankful for. Or more specifically, why should you be thankful as a way of life? In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you six reasons from this text about why you should be thankful. More than just on Thanksgiving Day but why God invites us all to live lives of thanksgiving. If you have your notes, they're in your bulletin. They're also on the app. We'll move quickly through these six things. Number one, why give thanks? First of all, it reminds us that everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. Listen to what Pastor Jahaz says in verse 15. He says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Everything we have belongs to God. In the book of John, we learn that without Jesus, we could do nothing. In the book of James, we learn that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down to us from the Father of lights. Have you ever met anybody that considered themselves to be a self-made man or a self-made woman? Have you met someone that really, they were always the heroes, the hero of their own stories, and they love to brag about the empire that they have built or their strength or their financial prowess? Have you met someone who thought they have done it all? God says we could do nothing without him. What about you this morning? Do you see that everything you have comes to you from God? Now, I know many of you, most of you, you've worked hard for everything that you have. And it's very easy. I'm from here. 
this West Virginia Appalachian mindset. It's very easy for us to consider ourselves as, as those who have stayed. We have done the hard thing, and we've carved out a living for ourselves in a place that's really hard to carve out a living for yourself. But God even invites us West Virginians to see that it's not our strength, or if we do have strength, it's because He gave it to us. Everything we have comes to us from God. So when we give thanks this Thanksgiving season or every day of the week, we're declaring to ourselves that everything we have belongs to God. Number two, why give thanks? Because a grateful person cannot be a cynical person. A grateful person cannot be a cynical person. Notice Pastor Jay has his faith. He says here in verse 16, Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass, and you will find them at the end of the gorge. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, his faith must have been contagious because even the king caught on to his faith. In verse 20, King Jehoshaphat responds in this way. He says, it says, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. Whoever this Pastor Jahaz was, there's not a lot in the Bible about him, but he was definitely a man of faith. When I think about him, and he didn't know I'm going to say this, but when I think about Pastor Jahaz, I think about Pastor Dickie Rife. Right? Pastor Dickie Rife is a man of prayer. He loves Jesus. He's a realist. He's not afraid to step into suffering. But at the same time, Pastor, you are a person of faith. In our staff meetings, when we're talking about something being impossible, is this is going to be hard? How are we going to get this done? He's usually the first one to say, hey, well, let's pray about it. Let's just pray about it and ask God to do the impossible. And I love that. By the way, yesterday I wanted to mention we had our union mission service here, and we had our food distribution, and we had hundreds of people come through, and many of you served, and we had 13 people after the service come for prayer and we had 12 people call on the name of the Lord for salvation after Pastor Dickey preached the gospel. I think that's something we can celebrate. I think it's something we can be super excited about. But what about you? Are you a cynical person? Now, we know how this goes, right? You're like, well, hey, look, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I'm just a what? I'm just a realist, right? Well, usually that's what all the pessimists say, is that they're just realists. But I think this text has something for all of us. I probably fall in the optimist category, and that doesn't make me any more spiritual. So I'm going to speak to myself, and then I'll speak to you who are, who are realists or pessimists. So those of us who are optimists, one thing we can learn from this passage is that the, the faith or the optimism was only based on the promises of God. And so for those of us who see rainbows and unicorns around every turn, it's important for us to root our faith in what God has promised. If God hasn't promised it, it's not necessarily going to happen just because we want it to happen. 
right? We only have the promises of God. So that grounds those of us who are optimists. But for those of you who maybe lean more towards pessimists, there's a word in here for you as well. Think about the faith that King Jehoshaphat put in the promises of God that came through the voice of God. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7 describing love. It says that true love hopes all things. Are you the kind of person that hopes all things? Or are you the kind of person that automatically goes to the worst case scenario? Are you the kind of person that when you hear a rumor about somebody that you say, well, hey, I don't know, it might just be a rumor. Or do you automatically assume the worst without giving them the benefit of the doubt? God tells us that a thankful heart can't be in the same body as a cynical heart. Why should we give thanks? Number three, because a thankful heart is a worshipful heart. A thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Notice verse 18. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Verse 21 After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Down in verses 27 and 28, he lists several instruments. After the battle, after they had won, they got their instruments together and they had a worship service in praise to the Lord. For his victory. A thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Have you ever come into church on Sunday morning and found it difficult to worship? I have. Maybe you haven't, but I have. You come in and, man, you've got the cares of the world on your shoulders. Maybe something happened right before church. or you know, It just seemed like our kids, when our kids were little, they could be angels all week long. And then like possessed by the devil on Sunday morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, but we certainly did. There's, inevitably, something comes up, makes it hard for us to worship the Lord. And so this morning, I'm not preaching and telling you that, well, you know, if you were a good Christian, every time you come in these doors, you would just be happy and you wouldn't have a care in the world. That's not genuine Christianity. But I do want to encourage you that if you find it difficult to worship the Lord on Sunday or on Monday a good thing to do is to just sit back and remember the blessings of God to you. You see, we were made as responsive creatures. We were not made to somehow muster up this worship on our own, but God says we love Him because why? He first loved us. And so the more you sit and meditate and think upon and count your many blessings, the easier it is to worship. A thankful heart is a worshipful heart. Why give thanks? Number four, because thankfulness is a powerful weapon against the forces of evil. Thankfulness is a powerful weapon against the forces of evil. The writer of 2 Chronicles wants to make it very clear that even though victory belongs to the Lord, 
The human means through which God gives victory is thankfulness. There's a human means. Thankfulness is a spiritual nuclear bomb. Thankfulness is more powerful than we may realize. Think of the story in Acts 16. In Acts chapter 16, you've got Paul, Paul and Silas, and they're in jail. They're in jail for preaching the gospel. Now, when we say jail, they're not in a jail with TV, internet, news. No, they're in, a, they're in like a hole, right? They're in the inner prison, almost like solitary confinement. Paul and, si- Paul and Silas. Now, imagine they've just been beaten. They've just been like taken right to the edge of death. And the Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas praised the Lord. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, Acts 16 came back to my mind because verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's fetters unfastened. Thankfulness is more powerful against our enemy, the devil, than we may realize. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, He gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us. Here's this image. This would just fit with 2 Chronicles 20. He always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. It's been a number of years ago. I was with a mission team in New York City. And we were singing. Uh, My wife was there. Uh, A number of of us were there, probably 15 or 20 of us. We were singing in the subways. And after we would draw a crowd, we would give out like gospel booklets and try to encourage people to strike up conversations. And we're in the subway car, and we just continued singing in the subway car. It was kind of fun. Well, there was one particular instance where a woman was in the subway car, and we're singing the particular song about the blood of Christ. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, what happened. I realize there's some people just crazy, right? There's crazy people in the world. But this woman, when we started singing about the blood of Christ, she lost it. And she turned to us in that subway car and she said, I hate you. I hate you. I never forget the look on her face and the sounds that came out of this woman as she said, I hate you. And she screamed and her hair was just all disheveled. And the first stop, the subway car stops and the doors open. She jumps out and she points to us as we're singing about the blood of Christ. I hate you. I hate you. God taught me a lesson all the way back then that Satan and whatever was going on inside of her hates the blood of Jesus Christ, especially when we thank God for it. Thankfulness is a weapon. If you're here this morning and you're beat down and you're discouraged and you're tired and you're ready to throw in the towel, I want to encourage you, thank the Lord. Praise the Lord for something. There is something in your life you can be thankful for and watch what God will do in your life through the powerful weapon of praise. Why give thanks? Number five, gratitude is the key to peace. 
Gratitude is the key to peace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 30, it's a short verse. It's easy to miss. But it says, And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. He was at peace. Reminds me of Corey Tinboom, the author of The Hiding Place and the survivor of the German concentration camps. She used to have people come up to her and ask, Corey, what great faith you must have had. And she would smile and reply, No, what a great God I have. It brings peace when we're thankful to the Lord. Number six, and lastly, why should we give thanks? Because gratitude is the best motivation for fulfilling our mission. Gratitude is the best motivation for fulfilling our mission. We won't read the end of chapter 20, but I would encourage you this week in your devotions to read the end of 2 Chronicles 20. It tells us the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Unfortunately, Jehoshaphat was a great king, but he wasn't a perfect king. And it tells us that as he aged, he actually became lax in his mission. God had given him a mission to tear down all the idols in the land and to go through the land and to call them back to the Bible. And when he was young, he did that. But the older and perhaps more tired he became, he just kind of gave in. And eventually he's creating alliances with his enemies and with God's enemies. And the Bible tells us he never fulfilled his mission. You know, I'm convinced that we have a great mission, not only here at Bible Center, but in the church at large. Our mission is to glorify God by producing more maturing followers of Jesus. But it's so important that we maintain hearts of gratitude and hearts of thanks because that's the fuel that drives mission. That's what's going to push us forward. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me not the duty of Christ. Have you ever met somebody that just never got over their salvation? I know some people like that. I know some of you sitting in this room, you're like that. And I'm not going to embarrass you and call you by name. But every time I get around you, you just want to thank God that you're saved. It reminds me of the apostles. They come back to Jesus and they're bragging to Jesus about all the miracles that they did and all the powerful things that they did. And they even cast out demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice over those things. Jesus said, just rejoice that what? Your name is written in heaven. Bible Center Church, be thankful. Your name is written in heaven if you've put your faith in Christ. What is it that I want to encourage you to do this week? It goes back to verse 21. It's very, very simple. Just encourage you to do this. Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. There's a number of ways you might do that. It might be that around your Thanksgiving table, you just take a minute and you just say one thing that you're thankful for. The kids will whine and complain because they're ready to dive into the mashed potatoes, but it's okay. They'll, they'll survive. I survived. You'll, they'll survive. Take just a minute and thank God for something that God has done for you. Maybe you could just start a journal or a memo on your phone. And just there on your iPhone, write down things that you're thankful for. What if you did that for the rest of your life? How long would that memo be? Maybe this week you'll give a gift 
in Jesus' name. Think about the woman who was thankful for the grace that Jesus showed her. She deserved death, but Jesus saved her life. And so she took a vase of expensive perfume and she broke it and anointed Jesus. Maybe this week God will lead you to break a vase in Jesus' name. Maybe you'll get alone. You can just get alone with Jesus and thank Him for the blessings in your life. For some of you, it'll be the deer stand this week. For others of you, it may be out for a jog or in your car or in your favorite chair. But above all things, let's give thanks to the Lord. One way we can give thanks to the Lord is through communion. And so we're going to do that now. I'm going to invite our servers to go ahead and go to the back and prepare for communion. And I want to show you the connection between communion and giving thanks. There are different names for communion. We use the word communion here in our tradition. It's most common. In other traditions, they call it the Lord's Supper. Maybe you've heard it called the Lord's Table. But there are some traditions or denominations that use the word Eucharist. And you're like, well, what is Eucharist? Is that just a a made-up word? Well, no, it's not a a made-up word. It's actually a Greek word used in the Bible. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharistos, which means thanksgiving. And if you look in the middle of that word, it's the word charis. If you know anybody by the name of charis, that's just the Greek word for grace. So whenever we're saying we're taking communion, it would be okay for us to say that we're actually partaking of the Eucharist. Now, we don't do that very much because, again, it always calls us questions in our tradition, but we could. And we find that word in Luke twenty-two nineteen. It says, And he took bread and gave thanks, Eucharistos, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The gospel message is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose again the third day and offers eternal life to anybody who will believe. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus told the church, Do this, take communion in remembrance of Him. Why? What are we going to remember? We're going to remember to give thanks for the salvation we have. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you in your heart in a moment when we pray, call on the name of the Lord in your own words. Put your faith in Christ. He is a Savior who can save. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.